If you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. so grateful for all that you've done for us through Christ. And Lord, as we sing about the sacrifice of Christ and what you've done for us because you love us, Father, we know that as grateful as we are, we know, Lord, that we can never repay you for what you've done for us. But we're also grateful that you never asked us to repay you for what you've done. And so, Lord, we just sit in wonder and awe of who you are and your greatness. And we just want to worship you and, again, just glow really and bask in your kindness and grace. Father, as we continue our worship this morning, as we continue to work our way through the pages of 2 Corinthians, we just thank you, Lord, again for preserving your word for us. As always, we ask as we read through the text and as we think about the things that are going on and what Paul has said, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand and to glean the truths that you desire for us to know and to comprehend and that, Father, there will be a, a desire on our parts to be changed by what your word says, by applying the scripture to life. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this privilege and opportunity. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I know you're very much uh, or very well aware of this over the past several months as we've been working our way through 2 Corinthians, we are uh, aware of this clash between Paul and these individuals who have kind of moved into the church in Corinth and have sought to take over, to gain the respect of the people, to gain power over them. They have been belittling Paul, they have been putting him down. Uh, the goal is to diminish the, uh, Paul in the eyes of these individuals so that they will be loyal to them and then be loyal to whatever they say. Paul is very concerned about their spiritual growth and this is going to affect them 
and their walk with the Lord. And so he's been writing this letter to correct this particular situation. In this situation, because these individuals have been personally attacking Paul, he has reluctantly responded to some of the things they've said about his person. And so he'll talk about some things that are good about him, some of his gifts. Uh, here we see some of the revelations and visions that God has given him. He does so reluctantly because he's not trying to build himself up in the same way that these false apostles have kind of built themselves up. He, what, what he wants to do is to reveal the weaknesses of these individuals and really the weakness and the error of the way of the Corinthians in valuing what these individuals were giving. Because what they were doing is they were evaluating these men in light of, uh, I guess, what we would call normal, valuable things in a society. Individuals who have education, individuals who are eloquent, individuals who uh, have certain kinds of gifting, maybe a certain kind of a presence. And so they were, as a result of that, they were elevating these individuals because they had all those things in comparison to Paul. And so Paul was basically letting them know that they didn't really have anything on Paul at all. And one of the things he's been stressing is they really don't have a, a concern for the soul of these people at heart. That their only concern was for themselves. So here in chapter 12, Paul is taking the standards of the Corinthians and of the false prophets and he's turning them upside down. Because the last thing, most believe this is true, that the last thing that they would expect to read would be a list of all of his sufferings and all the hardships he's gone to. And again, he's not boasting in his own power, but he is actually bragging about his weaknesses and his weakness. Paul was not boasting, in his, in his, the boasting that's going on here, it's not contrived, he's not trying to be ironic with them. He is boasting that his life was like that of Christ. What is the life of Christ? Isaiah says that he was a man of sorrows and he was familiar with suffering. And so Paul, Paul then, in a sense, was boasting that he was like the suffering servant. These other men were talking about their own greatness and how good they were and what great leaders they were and that kind of thing. And Paul said, yeah, that's not how it's supposed to be going for leaders in the church and for an apostle. This is what an apostle looks like. And so in chapter 12 here, Paul is dealing with, I guess you would call it the second line of comparison that the Corinthians insisted on uh, using, and that was now a list of visions and revelations. Apparently, these super apostles were stating that they had um, revelations from God, or they had visions. And they were using that, again, to promote themselves, to, see, to let you know how great they were, how special they were. See how close I am to God. God is speaking to me directly, is really, in essence, what they end up saying. We see the same kind of thing going on in certain circles today. You can watch it on TV, or you can watch it on YouTube, or you can... Watch it on some of the, the DVDs that individuals will, will sell in their, in their supposed ministries. Where they are, during their messages or during these Bible studies, they'll talk about or express that they have had these conversations with God directly. That God has visited them. Or that God is maybe speaking to them at that moment. They have certain body positions and gestures they make when that's going on. One of the individuals is when that happens, he'll be in the middle of a sermon. And he'll put his hand up and say, wait. And he does this. And then he'll tell them what that means. God is speaking to me at this moment. So I guess what the response is, whoa, I don't hear anything. And then he'll tell them what God has said, which if you think about it for a minute, 
God is giving him direct revelation. What he's saying then must be infallible. And it must be in full agreement with the scripture. If it's not, then he's a false prophet. And if we lived in the Old Testament days, he should be killed. By God's mercy, he's still alive. Because the man has been wrong on many things that he says, and it disagrees with what the word of God says. But Paul, on the other hand, even though these individuals have been talking about their revelations and visions, Paul's got some stuff on these guys. He's had some incredible experiences, to say the least. And again, his concern is that these things that he's talking about, all of this is going to be used to build up the church. So he does want to silence his critics. He wants to be enabled to minister freely without having to mess with these individuals. And so he wants them to understand what a distinguished servant of Christ is like. And so he begins then in verse 2, immediately telling them about this experience he had. Apparently, many believe this is, that this is the case, that what he's about to tell them, he has never told anyone before. This is the first time he's telling anyone about this. He makes an indirect reference to himself as simply a man in Christ. And many believe, and I think they're correct, that when he refers to himself as, I know a man, or I know a man in Christ, he's saying it that way instead of saying, look at me. I had this experience 14 years ago. No, he's just trying to almost downplay that. He's not anyone special. He's, he's a Christian. And he's been blessed to have this event that takes place that he's going to explain. But he's not trying to gain notoriety for it. But he did have a great experience nonetheless. And so I think some also believe this. And this may be a good point. Uh, one pastor said that the reason why he directs himself or calls to himself or references himself as a man in Christ is because he is anticipating what everyone in Christ will one day experience, which is the presence of Christ in heaven. And that may be so. But the event that Paul mentions occurred 14 years earlier. That puts it somewhere between the year of 42 and 44 AD. It was before Paul's missionaries, missionary journeys, journeys that are mentioned in the book of Acts. It puts it sometime between his return to Tarsus from Jerusalem, which is in Acts 9, uh, and his commissioning by the Holy Spirit, which is in Acts 13. There's not a whole lot about Paul's life that's known uh, during that time, except that he ministered in Syria and Cilicia. And we see that also in the book of Galatians chapter 1. So God may have granted him this personal experience to steal him or to harden him against um, the suffering that he was going to experience on his missionary journeys. I do believe that was part of it. Again, I, I can't say that dogmatically, but I believe that we, one of the reasons why this was taking place. Uh, he was going to be in situations, he was going to be uh, in circumstances where he was going to be by himself. There were going to be several circumstances where he was going to be facing death squarely in some situations, maybe even a few breaths away from death. Uh, where it's easy to begin to, to begin to doubt everything about your life and everything you believe and everything you're doing. He was going to be in prison, as we know, many times. Uh, and so all these different kinds of events can cause an individual to begin to, to, uh, to doubt some of these things. And I think that he was hardened to these events uh, and he was able to withstand them maybe in a sense more easily because of these experiences that, he's, that, he, that he had. Uh, he was given a glimpse, really, of heaven that awaited him. And so as a result, he could face the most relentless and the severe suffering 
that would dog him almost every day of his life. Exactly what was the reality of the experience really was even unclear to Paul because he twice says this, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know. He's emphasizing that. He didn't know whether his body and soul were come to the third heaven or whether his soul was temporarily went out of his body. He doesn't know any of those things. The word caught up is the word uh, harpazo, which means he was suddenly snatched up into the third heaven. Uh, the reference to the third heaven probably is nothing more than the first heaven is the earth's atmosphere, the second heaven would be the, the planets and interstellar space, and the third heaven is above that, the abode of God. Uh, I don't think it has any other significance uh, than that, um, but he was in the presence of God. Some have noted this, which I think is, uh, stands out like a sore thumb, and that is this, because there's several books and interviews of people today, uh, I guess they're all still alive, I'm not sure, who have claimed that they have had trips to heaven and they have had visions to God. Notice that Paul gave no sensational, detailed descriptions. None. He doesn't talk about what he saw or what he experienced. He only mentions what he heard. But then when he mentions what he heard, he says he can't say it. That it was inexpressible. Even though he was not even permitted to speak. So that doesn't bode real well if you're going to be put on the, uh, uh, you know, on the TV circuit to be interviewed. It was, oh, we know this man. He was caught to the third heaven. Paul, can you tell us what it was like? Well, no, I'm not even sure if my body was there, if my soul was there. I, I don't know. Well, what did you see? Well, I, I, I really can't tell you that. Well, well, did you hear something? Yes, I did. Great. What did you hear? Well, I really can't express that. Well, that's a, that, that, the reporter is going to view this as a flop. Right? Who's going to want to book Paul again on their talk show if, if that's the answers that Paul's going to give? But he's not looking to write a book, make a movie, and, and, and make a bunch of money. He's just said, look, this is what took place. Clearly it was for him. Absolutely it was for him. This was not something that he wanted to share with people so that they could try to emulate or copy what he had or want what he had. He's just telling this is what took place. This is what happened. He understood what was said. But there was, again, no words to convey what he heard, or again, that he would even be permitted to speak about it if that was possible. The veil between earth and heaven remains in place. What God wants known about heaven is revealed in the Bible. As for the rest, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So again, Paul says in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body, out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He goes on to say this. There's two things. I want you to think of these kind of like maybe points. Number one, he says, but I refrain from it. That's from speaking about this, this, this event that he had, this revelation or, or this experience. I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. I really think that's an incredible statement. Paul is very much aware of his human nature and the desire to be viewed in a certain way. A desire for people to maybe think certain things about you or to think about you in a particular way. So he just comes right out and says that he refrains because he doesn't want anyone to think more of him than they should. That's really what he's getting at. It really is about Christ. 
He, it's, it's just not about him at all. He recognizes that he's an apostle and all the authority that comes with that. And he's not afraid to use that. He's not afraid to embrace this position or this office that he holds. So there's no false sense of humility where Paul's saying, oh, I'm just nothing. And, you know, he's not doing any of that. But he is talking about maybe some of the dangers that can be faced with this where it becomes about you. We, we see this on a small scale, maybe a big scale, when it comes to a lot of politicians who say if they get elected to office, it's all about the people. And when they get elected, it's all about getting reelected. What happened? Something changed here. You know, you first it's all about the people, and next thing you know, it's all about being reelected. Right? It, it, it was different. For Paul, he's not concerned about that. Second thing is, he says, to, and we'll cover this in more detail, to keep me from being too elated. I really don't like that word, but we'll talk about it. I just don't think it communicates the right thing. To keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. So this thorn that was given to him, the word thorn, uh, the Greek word means a sharp stake used for torturing or impaling someone. So I believe that the use of that word means that whatever was going on with Paul, because we don't know specifically what it was, it was a physical affliction of some kind that brought both pain and distress to Paul. Some individuals would say that the thorn in the flesh was these individuals who were always coming after him. And that did happen. But I, I just don't think that was the thorn in the flesh. I think the thorn in the flesh was actually worse than that. It was something that at any time could hit him, and he was very much aware of his weakness, of his inability to do things in the flesh, especially whenever this would, this would, the pain would, would kind of come on him, and he was just completely debilitated. And either God was going to help him or he wasn't going to get things done. But this was, this was something I believe that was physical. Again, there's a lot of theories as to what it is, but we don't really know. But here's the thing that we need to remember. Several things about this that I think are really important. Number one, God permits suffering to come into our lives. We know that. We've talked about that a great deal. There are several ways that we can deal with it. Sometimes an individual can become bitter and blame God for robbing them of freedom and pleasure. Now, I'm thinking in terms now of just believers. Right? This is something we have to deal with in this world. We are all, I guess we could say to a degree, all of us experience pain, suffering, distress, etc. Some of us may, may be experiencing excruciating pain at times. We want that to go away. That's normal. But in the end, what we understand as Christians is, God is, at, at least we can say he's allowing it, some people feel uncomfortable saying that God is causing it. I'm fine either way, because if God sought to remove it, he could, because he has the ability. So we are experiencing those things. Yes, part of that is because we're all under the curse of sin. Our body decays. As we get older, we know what happens. You just start, you start to ache sometimes for who knows why. Uh, it's just unbelievable what can sometimes take place. One day you can wake up and you feel like you haven't even had any, anything... I haven't had any sleep. How am I going to make it through the day? You do, all you can think about is, I want a nap. All right? and then if you take a nap, you can't go to sleep that night. It is just this horrible. And then some days you wake up, you're like, 
Well, I mean, I know I got a bad knee, but why is my back hurting me? Well, I know I got a bad back, but it's now it's my shoulder. You know, you wake up and you can't lift your head. Because like, it hurts. You know, it's just, and we all, and I know why you're laughing, because you, you've experienced it. But again, even though all that is true, God is still in all of that. And we need to remember that. And for those where this is a chronic thing, it's ongoing. Sometimes we can become bitter because we know God can heal us. We know God can take it away. We become aware of the things that we might be missing out on that we can't do because of that. And we get upset with God. Sometimes with others, they just give up. They just give up. It's, you know, it's not like they're going to commit suicide. They just, ah, they're not going to bother with the Lord. They're, not, they're just going to live with it and they're just going to suffer. Whether it's suffer loudly or suffer in silence, they're just going to suffer. And they're not going to really pursue anything that God may want them to do. They're not even thinking in, that, in those terms. They're just giving up. And so they do. They fail to get any blessing out of that experience because they just don't think there's any blessing to have. And they don't have the courage to face it. Still others would just kind of grit their teeth and put up a brave front. Uh, sometimes we think we do that because we're Americans. So that's just what we do. You know, we just, I can deal with this and move forward. You know, the Clint Eastwood attack, I guess. All right, we're going to, we're going to endure to the very end. And now, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that to, to a degree. I, think that, I can think that could be a good thing, but not in and of itself. Because we're missing some things if that's all that we're doing. So it is a courageous response. It can drain you of strength, though. The strength you need for daily living. And the idea when I say daily living, again, we're thinking in terms of a Christian. It's not just gritting your teeth and hanging on just to get through the day until it's time to go to bed. This is flourishing as a Christian. Responding to everyone around you as a Christian. Not being identified by your pain or your distress or whatever's going on. That we're not identified by that. Yes, it's a part of your life. It may be a big part of your life, but that's not your identity. That is not my identity. That is not the essence of my existence. Pain is not the essence of our existence. It may be a big part of it, but it's not the essence of it. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but this thorn in the flesh, there's no indication given here that Paul, if Paul knew if that thorn was temporary or permanent. Like, was it given to him for a while? Like, was he going to have to deal with this, whatever it was, for maybe 10 years and then go away? Or was that going to be the condition for the rest of his life? The true measure of a godly person does not lie in his claims of visions and experiences with God or the force of his personality or the size of his ministry or his educational, educational degrees or any other human criteria. In fact, I think this is true, that one of the most important traits of a true man of God is marked by how he or she has responded to and reacted to suffering. That will reveal where we are in our walk with the Lord. Again, verse 9, remember he's prayed and asked the Lord to remove this. Just so you know, God says no. God says no to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Think about the wording. He's content. He is content with his weaknesses. He's content with insults. He's content with the hardships. Persecutions, he's content. Calamities, whatever they are, he's content. In the Christian life, we may get our blessings through transformation and not substitution. What do I mean by that? Again, Paul prayed three times for the removal of his pain. He was asking God really for a substitution. Give me health instead of sickness. Deliverance instead of pain and weakness. Sometimes God does meet our needs through substitution. Other times, and maybe it's most of the time, he meets our need by transformation. He doesn't remove the affliction. He gives us his grace so that the affliction works for us and not against us. So look again at verse 7. Paul says, so he because he knows, he knows why God has refused to take this away from him. He says it. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. The word elated here means to lift above, to elevate, to exalt, to be conceited, to be arrogant, to be insolent. Paul is very much aware that the revelations he's received from God are fabulous. People would love to experience what he experienced. This, he, these are, this, is a, this is great. This puts him above everybody else. He knows that. But he also says that he knows, again, he understands human nature. God clearly does. He's the one that created us. And Paul says that God specifically designed this pain that he's going to go through so that he would never become arrogant. So that he would never become conceited. So that would not happen. So here's my question for you today. Take whatever's going on in your life that's bad. Pain, maybe some disease that just takes up a lot of time. Like you might have diabetes. I don't, I don't know if you may always have pain, but I know it's something you got to deal with like all the time. Depending on where you are with all of that. Maybe, maybe it's cancer. There's all kinds of things you have to face. Again, maybe there's just, you know, pain, that pain that comes from a bad back or whatever the case may happen to be. Let's just say, what, or maybe people. Maybe there are certain individuals in your life that they just rub you the wrong way and it's just always going to be that way. And they're, maybe they're in your family, so they're not going to go away tomorrow. I mean, there may be circumstances that you're in that are really extremely difficult, that are draining. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe a work at home situation. It could be all kinds of things. But let's just say that whatever is in your life right now that's causing you this distress and maybe anxiety and pain and all of that, what if God let you know today, don't bother praying about any of that because I'm not going to deliver you from any of it. And the reason I'm not going to deliver you from any of that is because it is necessary for you as an individual because I don't want you to become conceited or arrogant and I want you to remember that you are dependent upon me for everything. Would you consider that worth it? Because I'm not sure we would always say yes. I don't, I'm not sure that's worth it. 
especially for those who may be experiencing maybe really intense pain. Maybe for those who are going through, I mean, you know, sometimes we can kind of joke around about different people in the family and it's difficult to get along, but there are some people who have a family where it's, it's not, it's more than just that. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's one of those things that, that is a burden all the time. You know, we need to be understanding of individuals and and if you don't have that, be grateful of that. Be grateful that you don't have that. But what if? What if God says, my grace will be sufficient? Don't ask about that again. Now, he doesn't say it that way because I think that we come to God. We may be driven to God because of the pain and the things that we're going through. You know, we, we need him. We, we lean upon him. So I'm not telling you to leave here and never pray about those things again. That's not what I'm at. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not even saying it's wrong for you to ask God to deliver you from some of those things. But I do know this. Sometimes, for some of us, we actually already know what the answer is. We already know he's not going to deliver us out of that. But what he does say for all of us, because I think it's throughout the scripture, is his grace is sufficient for all of us to endure. His objective in all of us is to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, in every way. And there's a lot of refinement that goes into that. It's not just being nice to strangers. And you can say, well, I'm more like Christ because I'm, like, I'm nice to strangers. It's more than that. It's more than just tolerating family members that are difficult to get along with. It's embracing them, loving them, being kind to them, going the extra mile for them, definitely putting up with them because you love them and you care for them, and if they're not believers, you are Christ's representative to them. And you want to make sure that there's nothing that you're doing that's going to hinder the message of the gospel of Christ. And so we, so I'm not telling you this morning that whatever pain and all this you're going through, that that is the reason why God is allowing that or causing that. But I am saying that that can definitely be one. And maybe a part of a package of things that God is working on in our lives. But I don't think it's uncommon for God to allow those things in our lives as human beings so that there is an, an aspect of that in our lives as Christians that I, am, that I am reminded of the spiritual truths of the scripture. That my life is fragile. That I could go at any moment. I can't make this on my own. I need his help every day. If you've worked hard your whole life and, and you've always been able maybe just to work through whatever pain you have because you can depend upon yourself, that's a great thing. And that's a blessing. But that doesn't get you through life the way that you need to get through life. That's not all that you need. We need Christ. We need Christ to help take this individual who may be hardworking and maybe in a sense self um, uh, able to take self-sufficient and change it to an individual who is clearly still very talented and very hardworking and also clearly dependent upon God, whose life and heart and mind is being changed and is being shaped by the God of the universe, who is becoming this individual who's not just a strong man or strong woman, but they have strong convictions who still with great gentleness and kindness are able to express the love and the truth of God. 
We need to be that for our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our co-workers. And so we need to sometimes think about our pain. And I'm not advocating that you should just put up with your pain and never try to get pain relief. I'm not saying that. But what drives us to do that? What level of pain are we going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives? What, what place in our conversation and our thoughts is our pain and whatever, whatever is negative in life is going to <laughs> occupy in our conversations? If, if those things occupy a great amount of your conversations with others, there, there may be a problem where you are allowing that to become the central thing. What God wants you to do and what God is willing to do is he is willing for you to come and talk to him about that every single day. Every day he's willing to listen to all of your aches and belly aches about all this stuff that's going on. He's willing to listen to that. And he wants to teach you and he wants to answer your questions and he wants to guide and shape your life to become what he wants it to become. And sometimes we're too stubborn for that. We just want what we want and I want it now. I want pain relief. And then at the moment someone says something contrary, we go, well, you don't understand. Do you have constant stabbing back pain? Well, thank the Lord, no, I don't. But how is that suddenly an excuse for you not to be living for the Lord? I do know that because it's my personality, there are times I can be maybe a little less empathetic than I should be when it comes to people who have chronic pain. I've had chronic pain. I do believe it's been mild my whole life. It's just been in the knees. But I remember one day I had this experience. No, don't worry. God didn't talk to me. Uh, but I had this experience. I was in the weight room. My wife would probably tell you I did something stupid. I don't think I did. But all of a sudden it happened. It felt like someone had stabbed me in the back with an ice pick. And I dropped to the ground. And I was on my stomach and I could not move. I couldn't even crawl to get my phone. I mean, I was just down. I'm like, what in the world? Man, I take care of myself. I mean, I'm going through all this stuff. It was hard to breathe because it hurt so much. And so I finally realized I was going to have to lay there for a while. I did not know what was going to happen next, but I had to lay there for a while. It did seem like a real long time. It may have been 15, 20 minutes, which is a long time to lay on a cement floor that's kind of dirty and you can't go anywhere. But I'm laying there, and then, but then this thought occurred to me, and I do think it was of the Lord. I don't think God was speaking, but then it was, it was like this. Like, Bob, not always as empathetic as you should be to those who have back pain, are you? <laughs> And I did speak out loud. I said, no, Lord, I'm not. <laughs> and so that was, and I, I'm convinced, I don't know what else is going on, but I'm convinced that was one of the things that God wanted me to experience at that moment for that reason. Because after about 15, 20 minutes, it was gone. I don't know where it went. I wasn't sore after that. I just, I got up. This is pretty good. Great relief. Never had it since. But man, I remember that pain. And so when people talk about pain, I can't take it away. I don't want to minimize it. But again, I do know this. We still have the truth of the Word of God. And whatever we have, God's grace is sufficient for you. And that's why I do cringe. I cringe if I do this. I cringe when any believer maybe complains too much about their pain. Because God's grace is sufficient. And if we complain too much about our pain, where is God's grace? Are you experiencing God's grace? 
God's grace doesn't mean that you no longer feel the pain. It doesn't mean that. He's teaching you. He's showing you. Is it worth it? I think it's worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your intimate involvement in our life. Where we understand, Lord, that for each and every single believer that is here, you are so intimately involved in our lives that you are the one who has ordained the particular and specific kind of pain and discomfort and wrong circumstance or uncomfortableness or awkwardness that we go through on a regular basis. And you, are, and you remain so involved in our lives that you have promised us that you will supply us with the grace that we need to deal with these things that have been brought into our lives. To do so in such a way, Lord, that we would grow and we'd become more like your son, Jesus Christ. That we would live in absolute dependence upon you. Being willing to be led by your spirit be used by you in the way you see fit in the lives of others. We pray that you would help us to learn these things. We pray, Lord, we would have a greater empathy for those who may be experiencing these kinds of things we've discussed. Not, Lord, that we would feel sorry for them, though we would try to maybe carry their burden with them if necessary. To pray for them. Not only praying for relief, though that wouldn't be wrong, but praying, Lord, that they would learn the things you would have them to learn, maybe even learning to live with the situation, to be used by you and again shaped by you, to be a blessing to others. We thank you, Lord, that you are not a God who is just at a distance letting things play out, but that you are intimately involved in all of our lives. And so, Lord, we have great confidence in your wisdom and we trust you even when we do not understand all the particulars. We are grateful that you can be trusted. We pray, Lord, that you would increase our love for you and our dependence upon you. And I pray that you would increase our love for others, that our hearts will grow in empathy for each other and the difficulties that others go through, and to come to the throne of grace and to seek your help on their behalf, to bless them and to use them to help them to overcome, to be a blessing to others. We thank you for the circumstance that we are in. We are grateful at times that we are not in the circumstances that others are in. We pray that we would not be jealous of circumstances that others are in. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would not have a sympathy for others to where we somehow deny you because of the circumstance that they are in. We ask you to give us wisdom, love, a caring heart, yet to always stand firmly on the word of God. Do you ask these things in the name of Christ? Amen. Now, let me say this before we sing. You may be an individual who's going through a great deal of difficulty and pain and, and whatnot in life, and maybe you're one of those individuals who is trying to bear it on your own, and you don't get all the stuff that we've been talking about today. Whether it's myself or others here, there are many who would be more than happy to explain to you who Christ is, what Christ has done for us, how we can receive the marvelous gift of salvation through Christ, which brings not only the forgiveness of sins, but the presence of God in your life on a daily basis. 
where you will have this resource, this grace supplied to you by God to get through each and every day. If you've never experienced those things, again, as I said, whether you speak to me afterwards or you can email, text, whatever, be more than happy to sit down and take as long as it takes or over the course of time to show you what the Word of God says so that you can possess what we possess. No promise of a pain-free life, that's for sure, but a guarantee that the support and the resources that we need will be richly supplied to us through Jesus Christ.